0: Welcome to another episode of PointCast, where we talk to voters about issues that most concern them, and we encourage legislators to both listen and act. We are brought to you in part by L-Yag Productions, a studio for both podcasters and musicians, and of course, PointCast News. To catch up on earlier episodes of PointCast, check out our website at pointcast.news, or look us up on Apple Podcasts. Also, be sure to like and follow us on Facebook to be aware of when more episodes are released. Francine. Yes. How are you doing, madam?
1: I'm doing well, thank you.
0: And you? I'm, you know, I'm doing pretty good myself. This, uh, this quarantine has everybody learning a new normal, but we're, we're making it work as best we can.
1: More like quarantine light, but
0: yeah. <laughs> fair, fair, <laughs> fair. Now, uh, you wrote an article that I think is very interesting, and I want to kind of pick your brain about it for a moment. But the article okay. itself actually poses a question. And uh, I, I am going to give you my answer to it, but I actually want you to give me your answer before I kind of dig into the meat of the article itself. Uh, okay. Can Americans truly afford to put safety first? Uh, that's the article, that's the, or that's the, kind of the, the question brought on by the article itself, and also effectively the title. My answer no, not financially, realistically, or spiritually. I'd like your opinion.
1: Well, you know, I never really completely answer the question because I think that it's an answer that will differ from family to family. But what I'm trying to do is encourage people to not only ask that question of themselves, but of the people, you know, looking around them. You know, can we as a society, can we, can we afford to put safety first? And um, I think we'd like to think that we can, because affordability is more than just money it's about priorities right it's about what we think is important so i think we can afford morally to put safety first but i think that the realities of the way that americans are used to living makes it difficult and so i i try to i try to capture the essence of discussions that whether i've been a part of them directly or i've just been listening into i try to capture that in this article the kind of help people understand why the question has to be asked, but more importantly, you know, discovering an answer to it. Uh, And I think it's more than just me as one person um, telling people, although I have to admit, I do agree with you, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but I, I don't want it to be just about my voice. I want it to be about people, you know, being a little bit more compassionate about people who probably can't afford monetarily to make that choice. They might be in a situation where a job might not allow them to make that choice. They might, there's all sorts of different things going on. People are more than just a paycheck away from, from poverty or homelessness. You know, they're like behind already. Some people are just, they been so used to living behind. That is their normal. And now this sort of thing puts them further behind. Um, But many of us are okay and we're having to face a new situation, you know, uh, that's uncertain. And um, some people can have the luxury even in that space to ask that question. Some people don't even have a luxury. It just is what it is.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Now, one of my favorite parts of the article is your uh, characterization of the virus, uh, you, you labeled it C nineteen, um, and I called it the most destructive gang ever created. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, you you draw the parallels as to you know if there was gang violence going on in your neighborhood, like would you be you know wouldn't you be afraid to go outside? Wouldn't you know how you should handle that? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that and, and this may this may sound kind of a stretch, and you know correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I feel that there really is a, a kind of a parallel between what gang violence in a community does to people in that community and what COVID has really done to this world. Um, let me, let me kind of break this down. So back in the day, uh, before my family moved out of the neighborhood that i spent most of my, my life in, um, I learned going into middle school that that neighborhood was actually a kind of like a, a proving or testing ground for an up and coming Hispanic gang. Um, a good number of my friends from the neighborhood were already involved and I had no clue that that was a thing until that violence came to my actual home door. And as a teenager, that scared the crap out of me. That There was no way that I had to rationalize that. Uh, so much so that we ended up having to move out of that neighborhood. But I used to be the kind of kid that would just run around the block all day because that's what we did before we had internet. We just yeah. ran around and you know played ball and all the other things that you do before right. you can entertain yourself at a screen. So like, it, it's crazy to me that not only in my little kid brain, um, or I mean, I wasn't a kid, but you, you get the point. I'm, I'm much younger than I am now, um, that, you know, that I was no longer safe in this place that I thought was safe. For the majority of my life, I, I could not go outside. Something would happen to me or someone that I cared about. Um, I couldn't do the things that I would normally do. I couldn't go meet Ricardo at the corner to play soccer because for all I know, Ricardo was going to shoot me. Like there's a, there's a bunch of things that just had to change
1: mm-hmm.
0: after I learned what was going on and had an unfortunate part of it. And mm-hmm. I think that, like I said, there's a, there's a very interesting parallel That can be drawn between that and how people are now viewing, you know, having to go to work or going to the grocery store or Mm -hmm. any of the things that are going on, especially given so many people in America can't deal with this. Like, it'd be one thing if we were like a nation of happy, healthy people, but we're not, you know, there's so many of us that are negatively affected by this and there's nothing they can do about it.
1: So in the article, one of the things that I wanted to try to do is make this more, uh, bring this closer to home and in the sense of the level of emergency type of response that the average individual probably should have during this time. So I use the analogy of the game because it really hits on different points. We talk about safety, but we also talk about the attitude towards safety, you know, for individuals who choose to put themselves in certain situations. So I use the analogy of a C-19 gang with the death statistics that are real to COVID-19. And when you put it in that frame, it does something differently. You know, it, It it does, you know, when you see that, okay, now we're dealing with, I don't know, several hundred people killed in a couple of months in my city or in my state. Now it, 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 it means more you know, when we think about violent crime, because that's unfortunately what we're more used to hearing, but we're not used to hearing about viruses, True. you know? So I, I kind of wanted to frame it in something that would shock us to into this discussion about how to make ourselves safe long-term. Um, and hopefully the, the article will accomplish that because I don't dwell there. It's just the means to start the discussion. And then once we go into the discussion, I really kind of outline possibly some of the reasons why people are, have some of the uh, notions that they have about safety during this time. Frankly, I think people are confused because of the back and forth of leadership. And I kind of put a bit of an outline in the article about the changing ideas of our political leaders that I think have confused people about how they should operate during this time and keeping themselves safe. Um, and I have to also say that this article is partially written in response to people who are, who are upset that they are being told to quarantine or to practice social distance. And we see a lot of those attitudes with people protesting, uh, their governors across the nation, wanting them to lift lockdown orders, um, and possibly not completely understanding how, uh, how really bad this this virus can get you know so i mean i try to hit on a lot of different things but i start with the premise of of this gang out there killing indiscriminately right because we don't we don't really understand everything about it yet we still don't know and and, and basically trying to see help people understand that should we learn more about it before we just open ourselves up to it further you know should we understand where it's going to take us if we open ourselves up
0: that's actually uh, very much leading into the next point that I wanted to bring up, uh, which is that, you know, you, you, as you mentioned, you do very much encourage um, and you, you, you ask questions as if, uh, you know, you're someone in one of these situations. And I think it's very relevant to ask, you know, how do we deal with this? You know, where should we be getting this information from? Because anybody who's actually tried to look up anything is going to find 15 different answers to the same question. And like you said, people are confused. Um, it, it was originally something that didn't exactly make sense to me. I mean, you know me, though. Um, I, I like to believe that everyone should operate a certain way. But I know that that's obviously not America. But in a general sense, I like just looking at looking into it myself. There, there really is. Only a, a few places I feel like you can really get information from, and one of them being the World Health Organization. Um, it, it's really hard, in my opinion, to, to trust the opinion of anybody who's not already an expert when we're dealing with stuff like this because the experts are the ones who've been studying this their whole lives and that kind of thing. But what, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, uh, especially given you know, how knowledgeable you tend to be with things like these, Um, where do you get your information from, you know, when when it comes to news and information about how COVID-19, you know, is, how it spreads, where do you trust the information that you're getting and where do you find it?
1: Well, I do like going to the CDC website a lot, I'll be honest with you, but, um, I actually have a lot of friends in the medical community. So, um, I cheat. I talk to medical (laughs) professionals. I talk to intensive care nurses. Uh, who tell me, you know, how the body breaks down and what the virus does to the body and how it causes, um, they've been talking about a while, for a while now, the the activity in the brain, how it uh, changes perception of reality. Um, You know, the the destruction, they don't know what's going to be permanent and what's going to be temporary. You know, healing takes on a different meaning, you know. and whether or not people can get it again. And if so, to what intensity? I mean, I trust uh, people who are on the front line. Those are the sources I go to because um, you're, when you're in a fight like this, it's, it's a new fight and everything is new. So I think when you're dealing with situations like this, the closer you get to the front line, the more reliable the information tends to be. Um, and it's not that people are trying to be deceptive, it's just the nature of being humans when we pass down information, we tend to season it with a little bit of our opinion about the thing. Well, if you cut down on how many times it's passed down and you go directly to the source, I mean, you're dealing with the, these people dealing with the stark reality of people dying in front of them and, and holding the hands of strangers and, you know, and those strangers thinking that they are an actual relative and dealing with the emotions of that. It's, it's you know, it's, it's important to, to, have reliable resources when you're, when you're reporting out about things like this.
0: Absolutely. So in the talks that you have, uh, with your, with your healthcare, you know, the people that are working on the front lines, thank you, by the way, if you haven't heard it today, you should hear it many times every day. Absolutely. But, uh, what, what are some of the things that, that we can do? Uh, to combat this? Well, as a, as you know, an individual person, other than staying home, obviously, what, what's uh, the best way that you can do this? Say, say you need to go to the grocery store because obviously you need food, right? Like, what's the best way to protect yourself? What can you do to help protect others as well?
1: well I'm going to quote a couple of people. One nurse, I'll say Nurse Kim, um, I spoke to extensively, talked about um, getting essential items from grocery stores and how to handle them but she specifically talked about cleansing our products before we bring them into the home. Um, She talked about, you know, one of the things you asked in that that question is how to remain safe at home. Anything you bring into your home before you bring it in, cleanse it properly. Um, Even if it's uh, the grocery bags or boxes or plastic containers, your milk cartons, um, things like that, wiping them down with wipes, uh, keeping some bleach water, if you will, handy so that you can do that sort of thing, having a designated area in your home where the things that haven't been disinfected yet can be placed so that they don't get confused with other things. Um, I spoke to her. I spoke to her, Dr. Josh, who's another friend, and, and he basically said some of the same things. Hygiene at home is really, really important, especially if you're in the home with other people. And um, just recently uh, discussing some things with a CDC official, if you have pets and you feel any sort of uh, symptoms, even with your pets, practice social distancing because there are now reports that you can pass it or you can possibly pass it to your, your pets.
0: That, um, I just love how you, you give me these great segues into the things that I want to talk to you about. Um, you, to, to for, for those of you who, who are listening, um, the, the article itself does a, a pretty good job of, of about halfway through going into a lot of the, the facts of, uh, you know, going into the COVID situation and a good number of things that happened shortly after we got our first, you know, non-foreign confirmed case and a lot of things afterward. And one of the things you actually mentioned was that um, we now see a couple oddities in how COVID spreads, and now it goes into animals. Uh, we, we saw that, uh, I think it was, um, you know, someone infected their tiger. Like, there, there, was a, there was someone, I believe, at a zoo who was uh, sure. caring for tigers, and now they have it. Um, sure. So that's definitely something, you know, that, that we probably didn't even think about before. Um, right. You know, making it's sure you the can protect keeper. your pets too.
1: And I just want to be clear, it was actually the zookeeper who passed it to the tigers, not the yeah. wearer. So yeah, we're learning a lot of new things about this virus and that's why when we're dealing with something novel, uh, new, it, it's really, we, we have to practice this thing called patience, which is really difficult during a time like this. this patience is that, A rush to give an answer might put us in a category of giving the wrong answer. So giving scientists the opportunity to to learn more about this virus so that they can give us the more appropriate information and how to respond to it is really going to be key moving forward.
0: I agree. Another thing that I think um, is kind of odd, this section was kind of like oddities involving uh, COVID in America, was that we come to see that a good number of, people who are infected and are dying,
1: Mm -hmm. for
0: some reason, happen to be
1: Black. Yes.
0: Yeah, there's a bit of a disproportionate number of uh, both confirmed cases and confirmed deaths that happen to be within the African-American community here in America. And uh, we are not quite sure why.
1: We're not sure why, but we kind of have a hunch historically. So there are a lot of reasons that people point to during this time. Uh, one is testing. In fact, there was an incident on the East Coast, I won't say which city, where they are trying to do more testing in African-American communities, but the, drive, the testing was meant for people to drive up in a car, but the problem was a large amount, about 80% of the people who live in the neighborhood did not have a car, so they were walking up, and they were being turned away because they did not drive up in a car to get testing, and that was not remedied, okay, that, that stood. So you're, you're talking about a very small amount of people. Yes, they made testing available to everyone, but everyone couldn't take advantage of it because of the requirements of the testing. One being that they had to have a car. So, I mean, when you look at things like that, it, it's going to cause disparities and, and not to mention the historical disparities that have existed in the healthcare profession with, when dealing with African-Americans, particularly uh, African-American women who are, you know, they 're dealing with childbirth issues. those numbers are horrendous right now, so Very you 're already dealing with really bad numbers, and you add this virus on top of it, which exacerbate uh, the situation and, and really expose um, the disparities. I have not been able to find um, any information on what people are doing to address it, address these issues um, just as i haven 't found any uh, information about people addressing historical issues. I I think that um, sometimes we Americans think problems, some problems will take care of themselves over time. And unfortunately, I think this has been thrown into that basket, but what I would love to encourage legislators, lawmakers, and voters to do is to continue to ask these questions until we get not just answers, but remedies. Real solutions. Real solutions.
0: Absolutely um the only other thing that i wanted to go ahead and pick your brain about and this is something that you kind of mentioned near the end of the article um and this this doesn't have to be you know as in depth but you you mentioned that there are obviously people who aren't following social distancing there are still people who are you know getting together there's people who are meeting in protest even um i i wanted to know given that you you tend to have more conversation with people on opposite sides of of things and you tend to look at things a bit more neutrally than I do. I wanted to see if you had any insights as to where maybe that's coming from or is that just confusion, do you think, about how Um, it should be handled?
1: I think that based on the conversations, and again, you know, use this, put a grain of salt in there uh, because this is not verbatim, but the takeaway that I've had over and over again is this overall distrust of government. And um, there are people who don't trust um, the government uh, to tell them or to monitor their overall behavior, whether it's with staying at home orders or gun control. You know, they, they just, there's this thinking that uh, being an American means that I'm in the lead, I'm in charge of my own liberty in my life. And I live in some form of cooperation with others, but others do not. Have a say over you know whether I have to stay at home or or anything like that, so the conversations I've had had to, had to do more with civil liberties liberties, and i don't know if it's an, if it's uh, and I, if it's true, like if it's genuine, if it's coming from a real place or not because I'm not living in that or from that perspective, but sure. it's, it is a perspective that some people have. And I also think it's a perspective that some people are exploiting. So um, it will be interesting to see how all of this plays out. My prayers go out to to everyone to stay safe. Um, And I know this is particularly difficult for a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons, that being one of them. Um, But what else is one to do during a pandemic?
0: Right. Other than do your best to keep yourself and the people around you and your loved ones safe which is exactly what i recommend everybody do at home um so again thank you francine uh your voice is always one that we enjoy here um on the on the show it's, it's definitely good to to hear from you because you're normally the one asking the questions so it's it's, it's uh, definitely interesting to hear you answer them um other than that uh like like we say every day you know thank you to everybody who's out there uh doing you know fighting the good fight doing what you can everybody Please stay home. If you can, stay safe. Do what you have to do to protect yourself and your loved ones. Um, other than that, though, check us out at pointcast.news. Again, that's where all the all of the podcast episodes like this one will be found, along with uh, the Facebook page where you can see when new things get checked out. Again, this was a, another wonderfully written article
1: by our wonderful Francine. And uh, yeah, at this point, we're, we're done. Go ahead and go, take us out.